Hey, we're going to talk about control today, and um, uh, here's a real-life example. So I'm leaving Pleasant Hill, and I'm out on 56, and i got to turn on um, university, and the light's not turning. And I just want to get out, walk across two lanes, hit the crosswalk button, and run back and get in my car, and, but, you know, control's not an issue here. So, um, you know... The thing just wasn't turning fast enough. So, hey, I had a really, um, really good introduction to this message, all worked up. And, I, man, I took some time on this thing and, and read and I prayed and I studied and, I, man, I worked it out. And it was, it was good, I have to tell you. You're not going to hear it today um, because I read through it and it was like 12 minutes long. And I said, no, I don't, we don't have time for that. So instead what you get is the cliff notes of the introduction, and that's this that we're going to start with something you already know, because you've already experienced it many times in your life. Dealing with other people can kind of be messy sometimes, right? No? Oh, yeah, it can. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, so whether it's your spouse, whether it's loved ones, <clears throat> whether it's you know, people at work or the neighborhood, wherever it might be, church, uh, people can just be messy sometimes. And uh, do we have, a, we have a slide for that? Here's a small example to illustrate. There we go. This is what Scripture said. Just a very brief smattering of what Scripture says just to confirm that, yeah, it's, it's going to be a little messy sometimes. You, you know, a gossip separates friends and a fool is quick to quarrel. And in this world you will have trouble. And so you get the idea. You know there's a lot more Scripture than that to highlight the fact that it can be a little messy. But uh, here's the deal. Um, even if you exercise Hebrews 12, if you make every effort to live in peace with other people, even making every effort doesn't always work. Sometimes it, it's just a mess. Um, and so if you're a Bible reader, uh, you already know where that begins. You already know the origins of that. You have to go way back to the garden of Genesis chapter 3 where the serpent uh, lied to Adam and lied to Eve lied to them uh, most of all about who God is, what He's all about, and what He said to them. Uh, and then Adam and Eve, we know, ate from the tree, and the rest is history, okay? Uh, and here's what the Bible says. It says, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. We're going to talk about this verse a lot more in three weeks. I'm going to come back and we're going to talk about sex in marriage, and so look forward to that, because that's going to be like, we're going to get into it. So uh, it's going to be the real deal, but that'll be in a few weeks. Um, but focus for right now on the word realized. In other words, Adam and his wife had their eyes open and they acquired something they didn't have just a few minutes ago before they ate of the tree. What they acquired was an understanding, a realization that, uh, that God never intended for them to have. And that knowledge and that understanding, that realization took the form of fear and blame and deceit and pain and separation. And if Bob hadn't deleted the slide, you'd have a slide for that. But Bob deleted it. Um, and so let's fast forward to 2024. And we've got the same stuff. We've got fear and pain and isolation and anxiety. And so you ask ourselves, where does all that come from? Does it come from social media? Does it come from uh, issues surrounding the border? Does it come from uh, uh, the, the abortion debate? Or issues of sexuality, gender, 
whatever the case might be. Does it come from, does it come from uh, your interactions with your spouse, disagreement about this or that, whatever it might be? No, it doesn't come from those things. As we just saw, it comes from the garden. We actually come by it naturally. You're born with it. Those things, all those things I just mentioned, bring it to the surface. That's where you really begin to realize it. It comes naturally. So marriage, relationships, conflicts bring it all to the surface. And when it does come to the surface, our normal response, um, just with what we're born with, it comes down to one word, and that word is control. Oh, there's the slide. You found it. Way to go. So Bob didn't delete it. All right. Um, so here's what control is. Let's move on. Here's what control is. Aggressively or manipulatively violating the boundaries of others. Aggressively or manipulatively violating the boundaries of others. Now here's a few things to know about controllers if you go to our next slide. Controllers, people who use control are not always malicious. They may not even realize they're doing it. So they're not always, not like they've got some grand agenda all the time. Sometimes, but not always. They're often motivated by fear and insecurity. And out of fear and insecurity, they act and try to control things so that, you know, they, they uh, can uh, increase their level of security. Might actually be seeking relationship or affirmation. Again, that could be consciously or subconsciously. They might be seeking affirmation or relationship. And they may have made internal vows. Probably somewhere along the line, there's an internal vow made. And those take a couple different forms. The first form of a, a vow can be defensive, as in this statement. I will never ever be like my dad. I will never be like him. Or, no one will ever hurt me again. Whatever happened back there where I was embarrassed and I was exposed, and I was, that will never happen again. And when those vows are made, boy, it takes a lot of energy to live up to it. Um, but you can do it. Not successfully, but you can do it. So that's a defensive vow. An offensive vow could sound like this. I'm going to be the best at, you name it. No one, nobody is going to outwork me. Nobody is going to outshine me. There'll be people good at whatever it is I've determined, but nobody's going to be better than me. So there's two levels of, of vows that, that can be taken. Well, I want to introduce you to um, some controllers from the Bible, people who maybe you've never thought of in the context of controlling Go ahead and hit this one. So, and I just picked people at random, so there's no rhyme or reason to this. First uh, type of controllers uh, are uh, represented by Jezebel and Nebuchadnezzar, and then a group in Romans 16, those who cause divisions in the church. And some of the dynamics you see about these controllers are in the underlined, uh, the white letters. With Jezebel, I'll get you the vineyard, and if you know anything about Jezebel, she means it. She's not playing. Nebuchadnezzar, he ordered, because he had the, the king, he has the authority to order, I'm going to not only heat this furnace up, I'm going to heat it seven times hotter than it's ever been. And then we're going to throw them. See how aggressive this language is? And in, in the case of those who cause divisions within the church, um, we put obstacles in front of other people. Or we, uh, we teach them things that are contrary to the word of, God, so, word of God. So you can see some of those words are very active and aggressive. And the reason for that is, if you go to the next slide, these are what we call active and aggressive controllers. Active controllers don't observe other people's boundaries. So it's not like I recognize, if I'm an active controller, I recognize you've got a boundary. 
um, I'm just going to kind of help you manipulate. No, I don't even recognize your boundaries. It, they don't even exist to me. So they don't observe other people's boundaries. They're often verbally and physically abusive. Verbally and physically abusive. Close behind that is uh, emotionally ab abusive, maybe sexually abusive. Use sex uh, as a weapon, as power to control other people, get what I want. They live in a constant world of yes. An active controller, their perpetual mindset is yes, as they define yes. And so when you say no, to them it means maybe. When you say maybe, it means yes. Which gets us to our last bullet point. Either way, it's going to come back around to them. You're just going to do what they, it's going to be the way they want. That's an active controller, an aggressive controller. And uh, the kind of person who you see that in uh, would be a person with a narcissistic personality. Somebody who's all about them. And so because of all that, it won't be tough to find these people. You, you may have already encountered these folks somewhere in life. They're active, they're aggressive, it's all about them. It's their way or the highway, as they say, right? And so that's an active uh, controller. The second type of controller, here's some more Bible characters you may not have thought of with regard to control. Delilah, Jacob, and Rebekah, kind of in a tandem. And then Peter. And so again, you see the highlighted words that show you some of the, the dynamics. And so these are a little softer now. There's still control, but it's a little softer. Luring. Luring is different than heating the furnace seven times hotter, right? We're luring, we're subduing, we're just kind of drawing you in. Uh, Jacob, and I'm sorry if your name is Jacob, but in the Old Testament, the name Jacob meant the deceiver, the planter, the cheat, the thief, the con man. Jacob, was, from the minute he was born through the rest of his life, he was a con man. Here he is partnering with his mother to be deceitful and fraudulent toward his father and his brother. And then Peter, I love it. Because, oh, I don't love it, but I like what this illustrates is that Peter exercises control or tries to exercise control of Jesus, which doesn't fly, by the way. He tries to exercise control of Jesus by being religious. He's come, pull him aside. Hey, Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do you a favor here and let me share something with you, man. Begins uh, to rebuke him. And so you see that in church sometimes, uh, a little manipulative control. Um, gosh, I know Radiant does this, but my old church didn't do that. Right? Yeah. Well, guess what? See, that stokes every ounce of the gift of cynicism that I have, that I have to keep at bay, because my first thought is, we're not at your old church. But that's all control. And so, yep, go ahead to the next one. Thank you. Yeah, these are what we call passive or manipulative controllers. Less honest than aggressive controllers try to persuade people out of boundaries. So whereas an active controller boundaries don't even exist. Here, I recognize your boundaries, but in my mind, they're fluid, and we can, we can massage those and get those kind of the way, you know, it works for me. Manipulate things to get their way, and the side effect of that is it creates doubt, and so when you come to me, if we've got a, a connection and there's been some manipulation, some, some uh, passive uh, manipulative control there, now see, I don't know if I can trust what you say. You're telling me that two and two is seven, and I'm pretty sure two and two is four, but you sound pretty convincing. So I just, I don't know if I can trust what you say anymore, and then trust gets eroded. Now, you can forgive this person genuinely, but it's going to take some work to build that trust back, and then use seduction and guilt. 
Seduction and guilt. Guilt is a powerful, powerful motivator. We like to call it, Teen Challenge, we like to call that um, uh, toxic shame, toxic guilt, which just further defines what it does inside your soul. And so these folks might show up not as, um, not as a narcissist, but as a people pleaser. And so the problem with this is sometimes uh, a manipulative controller is just so darn nice and so polite and so generous and so giving and so kind sometimes that I can't even fathom that they might you know, have another agenda. They might be out for something. So how do you deal with all these folks? Well, here's the baseline. Let's go to the next slide. Baseline is this. Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. In other words, what the writer here is saying is that uh, a person who takes it, conquers an entire city, that's a mighty person, that's a mighty warrior, for sure. But you know who's stronger, who's more uh, able, more capable than that? is a person who controls their own soul, controls themselves. Watchman Nee wrote a great book uh, titled The Latent Power of the Soul. The Latent Power of the Soul. And his whole point in the book is that uh, your mind, will, and emotions is your soul. His whole point is that in, within your soul, there's a lot of power there. There's a lot of ability. You and I can accomplish a lot. Without Jesus, we can accomplish quite a bit, actually, but how much more can we accomplish with Christ? And not only that, but how much more redemptive will it be? Will it be good for everybody? We'll get to that in a minute. And how much more eternal will it be? If the things we accomplish are accomplished out of our relationship with Christ instead of just out of my own capabilities. So uh, personal control is God's idea. I guess that's the takeaway here. Personal control is God's idea. Not something some scientist made up. God wants you and I to be in control of ourselves so that we can trust Him, so that we can surrender to Him. If I'm not in control of myself, I can't surrender to Him. When I am in control of myself, I can submit to Him. Second uh, truth is this, Galatians chapter 5. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And so this phrase, do not let yourselves, that's a boundary. Not letting yourself be um, burdened, not letting yourself be enslaved, that's a boundary. That's a personal boundary that you and I set for ourselves. And the paradox here, of course, is that we're only free when we're submitted. You're only free when you're submitted. So anyone trying to manipulate or enslave us or uh, use guilt or shame or anger, whatever, they're crossing a boundary that God has established. And, let's flip that around, if I allow somebody to manipulate me through guilt, fear, shame, anger, retribution, whatever it might be, if I allow it, I am violating boundaries God has set up between he and I and between other people and me. You don't want to be a boundary violator. So, what if you're the controller, which is highly unlikely in this room? Now, it's 1,000% likely for every one of us. What if you're the controller? If you're not sure, well, you know what? A Google search won't help. It's not like you can put in control freak and your face will show up. But here's what you can do, almost. Here's what you can do. Um, you can get really, really honest. And you can look in the mirror. And you can start to take an assessment. Lord, what is going on down here? What is happening down here? 
because you know you. I mean, you've lived with you for how old, how many years you've been on this earth. You kind of know different situations, what you tend to be like, even if nobody else knows. You know what's going on here and in here. Lord, here's what I'm really like, I think. What, what's going on? Now, this is where, you, and you can start that alone, but you need a counselor, you need a mentor, you need somebody, a trusted friend, somebody who loves you enough to not let you off the hook and not say, well, yeah, you can kind of be like that, but it's okay. No, you don't need that person. You need the person who will hold your feet to the fire and say, yeah, yeah, you're kind of like that, man. We love you. You're kind of like that. Um, let's go. You want to change? Let's, let's move. That's what we need. That's what we need. That's how we get out of that, okay? So take a look inside at what drives you, what motivates you. As we like to say, uh, you know, what's the beast in the basement that's rumbling around downstairs and I keep hearing noises and I'm kind of afraid to look down there, but I just know there's something down there. What is the beast that's driving uh, my interactions, okay? Is my primary motive, now we all need acceptance and validation, 100%, but is my primary motive in situations to get validation and acceptance. Validation and acceptance is something that comes along with our interactions. But if my primary motivation is to grab that, then I'm going to be a controller one way or the other. Here's what Gary Thomas says. Hit that next slide for us. The lust to be appreciated, to be noticed, to be served, to be pleasured. It's like any other lust. It can't be satisfied. It has to be crucified. We think of the word lust, we typically think of uh, sexual sin, which is appropriate, but in a big picture, lust is simply, according to the Bible, simply an out-of-balance desire. So we could lust for food, lust for sex, lust for uh, shopping, lust for you name it, whatever it might be, relaxation, money. So lust is an out-of-balance desire, and it can't be satisfied, it has to be crucified. Now, there's another dynamic to this because we're all uh, 21st century Americans and we, uh, compared to much of the world, we have a certain level of affluence and success um, and achievement, and we're pretty capable of getting some things done on our own. We, we've experienced that. Here's another truth for you. Hit the next slide. There you go, from Keith Miller. Success in getting things we want leads us to the delusion that we can change people and personal circumstances through our power and methods of control. Soul power, the latent power of the soul. We don't know this is a delusion until people important to us begin to rebel and our control is seen to be very limited or illusory. So you want a real measure of the depth of your relationships with your loved ones, with the people in your small group, with uh, th those who you trust the most. Want a real measure with them, with of the level of relationship? Ask them to be honest with you. Talk about these things. Ask these questions. So uh, here, here you go. Here's a good gauge. So when you walk into a room, do you have to be, especially for men, but it applies across the board. Do you have to be the biggest dog in the room? Does everybody have to know that you're there? I mean, you'd never verbalize that. You probably never even thought about it. Maybe till this second. Do people need to know that you're there? In every conversation, do you have to chime in on it, even if you don't really have anything to say, but you feel like you'll be on the outside if you don't say something, so you just toss something in? Do you have to be part of all that? Do people have to know that you're present? Do you submit? Are you able to submit? Are you able to surrender? Are you able to say this? Man, I don't know. 
somebody asks you a question, can you just say, yeah, I don't know. Let's find out, but I don't know right now. So there's a third group of people uh, to introduce you to on this next slide. Moses, Esther, and Paul. Again, I just grabbed three names. And look at the words that describe them. Moses was humble. A couple times that verse says he's humble. Esther says, hey, look, I'll go, and if I perish, I perish. If it costs my life, it costs my life, man. Paul, I consider my life to be worth nothing. I finish the race. I complete the task. These people are not controllers. These are leaders. These people are leaders. Now, if you're in leadership position, you will be accused of being a controller, probably at some point. But these people are um, givers. They're leaders. Big, big difference. Big difference. Here's the difference. Um, I think it's on the next slide. Yeah, control is about self-interest. Leading is about group interest. Controls about self. A great, great uh, biblical character to represent that. The biblical character to represent that would be Satan. It's all about me. It's what I want. I hate God. And if you love God, I hate you. And so it's all about me. Leading is about group interest. And of course, Jesus fulfills that. That's a covenant mentality. As the representative of the new covenant, he does what's good for everybody, even if it costs him his life, and it did. So leading is about group interest, all right? So when life sets in and we start to feel anxious and start to feel a little nervous, and that that happens, our natural response uh, because of uh, the fall, our natural response is uh, we look for a way out. want to get out of the car and push the button want to change things, want to find a, in the checkout, I want to find a shorter line or something, I just got to get out of this place, which is me, 100%. Want to find a way out, turn things around, you know, so, so they work for me. And to do that, we turn to the illusion of control, because it is an illusion. That's when we start to trust things like this. Trust my five-year plan, trust my education, trust my experience. Trust my track record. Trust my personality or my gifts or whatever it is you, know, you might, might tend to lean on. That's when we get nervous, we start to lean on those things, okay? But eventually the illusion disappears. We figure out we're not really in control at all. And then life settles back in. And it's just us again. Anxiety comes back in. We're not sure how to move forward, so we become paralyzed. Well, here's an alternative approach when life sets in. Here's an alternative approach. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Paul's saying there's a natural response for dealing with anxieties and fear, and that's to be anxious. But he's saying, no, don't do that. Instead of doing that, in every situation, present your request to God. And when it comes to presenting your request, we just call that surrender. That has to be done proactively. Because if you and I wait until we're in the ditch and we're uh, loaded down with shame or guilt or anger or hurt or whatever it might be, it's too late. We're probably not going to pray effectively at that point. So we need to proactively present our requests to God over and over and over again. Like I said, we call that presenting repentance and surrender. In other words, you need to train yourself to be godly, as the Bible says. So as we've seen, control doesn't come natural. 
or say control does come natural, surrender doesn't. And when you start out, so you say today, you know what, this is right, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start being proactive. Uh, I make you a promise if you decide you're going to do that. And the promise is this, every cell in your brain will fight you. Every cell in your brain will say, like a switchboard operator in your brain will say, no, 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 we don't do this. If this is healthy and redemptive and holy and forgive, we don't do this. You, we always do this. That's what your brain will say to you. That's why you need a counselor. That's why you need some people around you to say, no, we have done that. That's our pattern, but we're going to rewire and we're going to do this. Come on, let's go this way. We need that help uh, to live that out. Because uh, Romans 12.20 says this, um, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And a modern paraphrase of that is this, Repetition is the mother of mastery and skill. So keep doing this right thing. Keep surrendering control. Keep being proactive. And pretty soon that'll, that'll wear off. And that won't be your default mode anymore. This will be. All right? Here's the result. The world doesn't get less crazy. All this stuff going on out there is going to go on out there. Uh, but what happens is you become more peace-filled. You become more surrendered. And through you, Jesus can show himself to the world. Like, how come all this crap is breaking loose in the world, but this person seems to have peace? They seem to be, you know, okay. Why is that? And your answer will say, well, funny you should ask. I'd be glad to tell you, right? And you get to tell them why. Well, I'll close with this uh, last uh, story. Um, I was out for a run many, many years ago. Um, used to live at a place uh, right by a high school. Uh, and I was running on this high school track, and I was praying. And I don't remember the issue I was praying about. Who knows? Um, but the prayer went like this. Lord, um, I'm giving you control. And it was one of those things where like consciously the prayer was up here, like I knew what I was saying, what I was praying, but subconsciously it just felt like there's something else under the surface here. I couldn't quite put my finger on, so I kept kind of thinking about, praying about that, and it, um, unfortunately what I think was going on was I had this real vague notion that my prayer, God, I give you control, my prayer was like, I bet Jesus is really impressed with me right now, man. Uh, I, I, I bet he's really happy. Um, I think that's what was going on under the surface. And what I sensed from the Lord was this, was um, I hear your prayer, and I receive your illusion that you're in control, but it's just that. You've never been in control of anything. You've been laboring under the delusion all these years that you're in control of, again, whatever the situation was. Uh, but because he's gracious uh, I believe he said, I'll take that prayer, and I'm going to work with that. 